Uh, but I'll, I'll be a man there. And, and we never really have, have been clear, and many of us maybe didn't have dads or didn't teach us anything, and so there's, we're just creating train wrecks. And quite honestly, and this is not to be harsh, but we see it in the college ministry a lot. All right, we see these guys 22 years old, 21 years old, and, and, and they, don't, they have no clue uh, about what it means to be a man. So I'm glad some of you young guys are here too because you guys are the next generation of, of men. Um, and so we need to learn how to release our boys to be men, to train them to be men, how do we are gonna be men, um, how to create in their lives rites of passage of manhood. For women, it's a little bit easier. They have just natural biological rites of passage. For instance, when, when a young, young girl gets her first period, it's, it's kind of a, a rite of passage, right? It's, now you have the ability to create life, and there's, there's something there. For men, we don't have that. Uh, and so we need to start thinking about that, of how we affirm manhood in our kids. Um, because it can't be simplified down to men simply hunt, fish, and camp, right? Because that's kind of the idea. If you, if you shoot guns and you hunt, and you, that's what a man is, right? Problem is, there's a lot of guys don't hunt and fish, all right? And a lot of guys don't go camping. Some of you guys hate the outdoors, and that's fine. That cannot be what manhood is. Um, it's got to be rooted in something. And so we need a grid. We need a definition, um, and, and we need to, to work towards that. And, and much of the material we're going to be going through um, is an adapted version, really a shortened version, of Robert Lewis's Men's Fraternity. I don't know how many of you are familiar with that. Uh, it's, it's like a 52-week deal. It's pretty intense, and we're going to abbreviate a lot of it down to the big picture stuff. But there's some powerful principles we're going to look at the next eight weeks to think about who we are as men, what we're doing, what does life look like, uh, and then redeeming that because that's what the gospel does. We want to see a redeemed masculinity, a redeemed manhood. And so to do that, we've got to go back to our first story and, and kind of an outline in your, in your, uh, your hand out there. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 2. And this is really our first story, and, and there's some defining moments here and defining truth that goes beyond just this initial creation story, because there's hints of gender and masculinity and what life is supposed to be about and what it is about. And, and we're going to summarize just for the sake of time, but some of the portions. But in chapter 2, verse 15, Moses is re-kind of telling the, the creation story with a little bit more specifics. In verse 15, it says, the Lord God took the man... And he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. Now the, the, the woman has not been created yet. And every other instance in the creation story, God creates male and female together, elephants, birds, fish, whatever. But when it comes to man or human, he creates the man first, and not only does he create the man first, he gives him instructions. He gives him direction, right? He says, here's the rules. Here's what I want you to do. He gives him responsibility. He gives him boundaries. You can do this. You cannot do this. He gives him consequences. You may not do this. The day you do it, you will die. Now, they don't know what death is yet, but he sounds bad, right? And we'll see what the consequences are later. But he has given rules, he is given a role, he's given a mission, he's given instructions, and he's, go get him, tiger. And then, verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone, I will make him an, a helper. The Hebrew word is an azer. 
It's, it's one who is an essential counterpart, all right? She's designed to complement him. She's designed to come alongside him and to empower him and to give him weight and authority, right? But he is responsible for her. Why? Because he was created first. And she doesn't even know what God has said unless he tells her, right? Because she wasn't there. So it is his responsibility from the beginning to say, here's what we're supposed to do. And he's supposed to take her under her, his, his wing and say, God said to do this. God said, don't do this. So right from the beginning, there's no sin yet. There is a divine order. The man is called to lead lovingly his wife towards God as they shepherd creation. Okay? Um, and then it says down in verse 23, when, when God calls him to fall asleep, brings out the rib, and, and he brings the woman to God. And he says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she's taken out of man. She is now his closest living relative. If you are married, your closest living relative is your spouse, not your parents. This is why you leave and cleave and you cling to your spouse. There's a, there's a spiritual connection. There's a physical connection. But there, that is oneness, right? And, and so that's what's going on there. Down to chapter 3. Enter... Satan, the serpent. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. All right? And what he does, he shows up and he starts to question God. Did God actually say? And he goes to who? He goes to the woman. He goes to the woman. And he goes, he says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? He starts coming in as a skeptic. He questions God's integrity. He, God probably wants y'all to go hungry. You realize that? He brings God's provision into doubt in his character. And she answers, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of any of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, is that a true statement? Partially. God didn't say you couldn't touch it. He said you can't eat it. And you can go out and play baseball with it all you want. Okay, you can do anything you want with it, just don't eat it. So what we see already, already from the beginning is they have added, she's added something to the word of God. Now, whether it was Adam that added it and said, just don't get near Eve, don't touch it, or it was Eve that added that, anytime you add to or take away from the word of God, you're in trouble, right? Anytime you do either one, you're in a bad place, okay? So she is out there on her own. She has lost the power of God because she's, she's added to the word of God, and then Satan, he's, he's got her. He says, you sh he said, but the serpent said, you'll not die. God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, is that a true statement? Yeah. They will be like God in that they will know good and evil. But see, but see, he's assuming, or not assuming, he's trying to, sh to get her to want to know something that she has no business knowing. She, has, she doesn't have the moral fiber to determine good and evil. It's not a good thing for her to know this. He acts as if it's good. And she appeals, says, basically, God is jealous of you guys. He's trying to keep you back. He doesn't want you to be like him. He's keeping you down. And the, and the core idea of temptation is that you are getting the shaft. You're getting the shaft. You're being denied something that you need. You need to step out on your own and get what you need, and you need to get it now. And she is convinced, and she's deceived in that line of thinking, and she's drawn out from the authority of God and her husband, who's supposed to be leading, 
and she moves out on her own. And the question is this. We're not, gonna, we're not hammering the women here because we're men. So where's the man here? Right? Where's the guy? What's Adam doing? And it's really easy to think, oh, you know, Adam's busy. He's got to do the whole garden. He's probably out building a barn across the place sometime, or he's naming animals. He's doing something, riding camels. He's busy. But that's not what the text said. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and a tree was a desire to be make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And then key part of the verse, she also gave some to her husband who was with her. He is there the entire time, standing there watching. Talking snake. Never seen that before. Kind of interesting. Let's see how this plays out. She's got her hand on the fruit. God said she's going to die. I've never seen anything die. Let's see how this plays out. I mean, you made one, one woman for me for my rib. I got more ribs. I can get another woman. Let's see what this looks like. Which, which brings in a question a lot of stuff, considering if he really believes anything about what God has said and he, he knows that she's supposed to die, that he's just standing back and letting her die. There's a lot there, right? There's a lot there. But then she takes and she gives to him. And their eyes are open. The eyes of both were open. They knew that they were naked. Now they are experiencing shame for the first time, the opposite of comfort, the opposite of lack of fear. They're shame at being naked. They were free. Now they're in bondage. They, were, they, they see the fact that they're exposed. He can hurt me. She can hurt me. And then they're hiding from God. They make fig leaves. It's the first humanistic attempt to, to be religious, to cover your sin, to hide. Right? So what Satan has done in just a few quick little questions is he has completely reversed the creation order. God leads the man who leads his wife who stewards creation. He has got creation to lead the wife to lead the man to reject God. She's just flipped it on its head real quick. That's how crafty Satan is. Just by asking a couple questions and appealing to you can be like God, right? You could be like God. But here's the thing. Adam in the text is passive. Eve is autonomous. Like she's, she's stepping out under the authority of her husband and the authority of God. But Adam is passive. He steps back. He lets it all unfold. He takes a back seat. Right? And you, can, and you can make all the excuses and say, oh God, it was a talking snake and I never saw that before and I didn't know what to do with that and that's near and, and she's naked over there and you know how that always gets me all frazzled. And you know, I mean, all the excuses in the world but he should have moved. He didn't add his voice. He didn't add his strength. He remained silent. He is passive. And so God, verse eight, comes walking in the garden. He calls and it says, look what he says. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. That's real brilliant. He created those trees a couple days earlier and he can't see through them. But that's how stupid we are when we're just kind of sitting back. We're blinded. But the Lord God called to, notice what it says, the man. Doesn't say he called to the women, the Eve, Adam. No, he calls the man because the man is responsible. And he said, where are you? And then they explain. He said, I heard the sound of your voice and I was naked. I hid myself. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree? And here's a good dude, right? What does he do? He puts it on her right away. God, well, you know, you know how she can be sometimes? When she gets going on something, she just won't quit. 
And you know that. You, you were the one who gave her to me. In fact, let's talk about that, God. You're the one who gave, it to, gave her to me. So this is really on you. This is kind of on you, God, because you, she's yours. Good guy, right? Passes it right off to his wife. And that's the art of being passive, that we hang it on someone else. Someone else's fault, not mine, not my responsibility. And so God kind of lays out, he speaks to the serpent. He curses the serpent. He curses the woman. He curses the man. And there's, 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 there's obviously responses to that. But he preaches the first gospel, which is key in verse 15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, talking to the serpent, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And it's a picture of what would come down the road where one would crush the head of the serpent finally, even though the heel is bruised. And that's exactly what happened at the cross. Right? But to the women, he says, because you are autonomous, because you were independent of your husband, you're going to have pain in your childbearing. Been there, done that. I saw that four times. It's true. Some of you have seen it too, right? In pain, you'll bring forth children. And then here's, here's the second part of that. Your desire will be for your husband, but he's going to rule over you. You're going to want to rule him. You're going to want to be in charge. That's your deal. You're going to want to be autonomous. You're going to want to be independent. But your husband is going to rule over you. And if you look across the world right now, this is exactly what happened. All the death, all the rape, all the beatings, all this junk in the Middle East, all these, these, the way these women are treated and sold as slaves is all a result of this. Because men dominate women in this culture and in this world. And they, are, they beat, this is the whole football guy beating his wife in the, in the elevator. Men dominate and that's part of the curse of sin, right? It's, it's one of the results of sin, and it takes the gospel of Jesus to make it all right. But her problem, her core issue is independence. But we're not talking about her, we're talking about us. His core sin was passivity, and so God says, because you listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, cursed is the ground because of you, in pain you shall eat it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles that shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, and dust you will return. The idea there is, you are passive, I'm going to make it so you can't be passive anymore. You're going to have to work your tail off. You're going to make a living, you're going to have to work. And it's not just going to be easy like it was in the garden. You're going to have to bust it up now. Because you wanted to be passive, I'm going to make you active. I'm going to force you to be. Woman, you want to be independent, you're going to get ruled over. It's part of the result of sin. And it's more than just, oh, that's a sad thing. Now, passivity is part of our spiritual DNA as men. Because we're children of Adam and it's been passed down, 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 down. That's who we are. There's this tendency to step back to just kind of, I'm out. And there's a passivity, right? And, and it's, we're not talking here. Understand, when we talk about being passive, we're not talking personality. Some men are quiet. Some men are not. That's not passive or unpassive. That's personality. You could have a guy who's a CEO, he's a head of a corporate, he's doing a lot of things, and he can be passive in everything that matters. His home, the feelings of others. He can be real busy, but he can still be passive. You could have a quiet guy that doesn't speak that much, but he is leading and loving and shepherding well and stepping out and active. So we're not, the personality is going to kind of manifest what passivity looks like, but personality is not passivity. All right, but here, here's two big things. If, if passivity is the core sin of man, then leadership is the core responsibility of man. Not domination, but leadership. 
responsibility for those who have been entrusted to you, that you are moving towards people. Again, it's going to look different in your context and when you, where you're at, single guy, married guy, teenager, you know, grandfather, personality is going to look a little bit different, but your job is to move towards people and take responsibility to people so that you are a blessing to those around you. It is not a gift. Some are more gifted. Some are natural leaders, but it is a responsibility of all of us. It's not just giftedness, because the reality is this. For most of us, our wives are more gifted than we are. They just are. They're smarter, got better SATs, whatever. They could make more money if they went out. They are more gifted, right? But we're talking about fulfilling a responsibility to lead, one of which things is to work. It's a responsibility for men to work. You're created to work. That is, that is your responsibility. It's just one of the little things. It's your responsibility to initiate to, when there's conflict, to finish something, to be an agent of change, to be an agent of reconciliation. And what we see in our culture is because of passivity, men either fake incompetence because they don't want to do anything. I don't know how to do that, honey. You unload the dishwasher. I've never done that before. I've never loaded the dishwasher. I don't know how, how, where the plates actually go. We fake it because we don't want to do it. Or we really are incompetent, right? Or we really just kind of don't feel like doing anything. And, and in your passivity, and I see it in my own life, and I'm sure you do, we will naturally take a step back. I just, I don't want to do anything. And here's the way women are wired, because they're independent. When, when there's a gap, when there's a hole, women will fill it. That is the nature of, of where they're at. There's a need. When I ask for volunteers at the church, 75% of them are women. I'm telling you. I got women that want to do parking duty. Why is that? Because there's a need. I want to fill the need. That's just the way they're wired. And here's what happens in your marriages. And young guys, pay attention. Because if you're not married yet, you can, you can avoid this dance that we all see. Husband, she's better than that than me. I'll let her take care of that. He takes a step back. She sees a gap. She takes a step forward because he ain't filling the gap. Right? The more he steps back the more she steps forward and fills the gap. And you do, that for, you do that little dance where he's stepping back, she's stepping forward for five, ten years, he is completely irrelevant in the house. He, and he is out of the picture. And so when something comes up and she's on a business trip or she's out of town with her mother and the kids, somebody needs to meet with the teacher at school, she's like, man, what am I going to do? I can't, send, I can't send him. He's incompetent. He can't do anything. And he's thinking, I don't know what to do. She takes care of that. And that's how you have over five, ten. This is a slow thing. It's not like overnight. Slowly, he becomes irrelevant in the house because he's not moving forward. He's not moving. Right? And I'm telling you, this is, this is many of our homes, and it's many of our homes in the church. And we complain about the commercials and the sitcoms. Oh, the men are always idiots. Blah, blah, blah. We did that. We allowed, we built that. That's, that's, there's some, some satire there, but that's true. That's what we have done. And so what we're going to do over the next seven weeks after today is we're going to just talk about that and how do we redeem that in our homes, right? And really three goals for what we're, where we're going. Here's kind of your overview of what's going on in the next couple, couple weeks. Number one, we're going to address the past. We're going to address the past. 
And we're going to talk about what, what we're going to call wounds. All right? And when we talk about wounds, what we're talking about is deficits. Something that is lacking, something that is missing in your life. Right? And, and, and there's all sorts of different things that have caused this, that, and the other. And we're going to deal with those. And we have to deal with those, and we got to bring them up front. Here's why. Think about this when you're, when you're a kid or your kid falls off the skateboard, your kid falls off the bike, right? And they got these skin knees, and there's all these rocks and all this nastiness in there. You don't just kind of put a Band-Aid on and say, go on, Bubba, get out there. If you do, you, this is one of those areas you need to let your wife take care of, okay? Because what you have to do, and we've all been there, is you gotta, you got to put that, that bubbly stuff, that either, either alcohol or whatever, Hydrogen peroxide, you got to clean that wound out, and then you cover it up. And boy, that cleaning it out is not fun. It kind of hurts a little bit, because you got you to clean that wound. And we got to deal with these wounds, and some of us are going to have to expose some of these wounds, and it's, it's not going to be fun up front. But if there's going to be healing, if there's going to be an ability to kind of cover that wound, then we got to clean it out first. We got to clean it out first. And so we're going to have a season that really the first four or five weeks are going to be kind of cleaning out some of these wounds. And here's the four we're going to deal with. First one's the father wound. It's a father wound. And this is a biggie. And we're going to spend two weeks on this one. Not only for our own self from our dads, but because a lot of you are dads or you're going to be. Right? Or your grandfathers, and you're going to lead your kids, and you, and you want to see this. I'm telling you, this was the most fruitful as I've been working through this stuff. Seeing where my dad was, seeing where I am, seeing how I have the same wounds that I, that I received that I'm inflicting on my kids. And I'm like, oh, man, that's not good. I thought I wasn't going to be like my dad. I am like my dad, right? But this manifests itself in a lot of ways. It can affect how one responds to authority, how they have confidence to do anything, some of you had dads, some of you had great dads, some of you didn't have dads, some of you had stepdad who was this and that and the other, and we're going to deal with all that stuff. And, and there's this, always this mindset, I can't stand because of what my dad did and my father neglected, and we're going to try to work through some of those things. We're going to talk about mother wounds, and, and where father wounds are more often deliberate, the mother wound is one of those things that's it's often unintentional. It's usually from an overbearing mama, maybe because dad was gone, maybe because dad was checked out. So, so she had to step in and fill another role. And so she babied him, and he's 26 and doesn't know how to have a change a tire or, or get a job or anything or ask a girl out because he had an overbearing mama. He just kind of, oh, and so he can't get out, right? So, so we're going to talk about how to, to get there and get through that one and, and, not, and lead our wives so that our wives aren't inflicting that wound, right? There's the, what we call the mentor wound where you have never had anybody in your life that's in that next phase above you that's able to say, hey, man, this is what you're doing good. This is what you're not doing good, right? And some of you are, you know, high-level businessmen. You're the top dog, and you know what it's like to have nobody on top of you. You're just looking back, and everyone's behind, and there ain't nobody ahead of you. That's a tough place to be. It's hard. What am I supposed to do next? This is a road that no one's showed me. And, and it can cause a deficit, something that's lacking, right, when there's isolation there. We're going to talk about that. And then the biggie we're going to talk about is the depravity wound. Because you are children of Adam, you are a child of Adam, and you have his spiritual DNA 
right? The problem ultimately we have is it's an inside problem, right? There's a brokenness. And we all know this, I think. We know this theologically. But if you have kids, you really know it. Because what you see when you have children, and what I saw, I got, you know, when I'm in seminary, I got two kids under the age of three. And, and you know, I go off to school and I come back and I come back and this kid's fighting with this kid and they're yelling at this. And, you know, three and two years old, I'm like, they haven't done, they haven't been anywhere. They've been home. So I, I, they've been sitting with my wife all day at home. So I got two options. Either my wife is teaching them to be evil or there is something that is broken inside them, right, that, that needs to be redeemed. And that's the depravity wound, right? And so we're going to talk about that. So that we're going to address the past. Second thing we're going to do is we're going to, over the next couple of weeks, is we're going to define manhood for the present. And we're going to keep coming back to this. But here's four parts to our, our definition of, of biblical manhood, all right? The first one is this, that we are going to reject passivity. We're going to reject it, what Adam failed to do, right? And this, this is one of those things, this definition, this idea of rejecting passivity, this is not just for, for husbands or, or dads. It transcends maleness, all right? It has to. Just like for a woman, femininity is not being ha- able to have kids or, or it's not being married. Because what happens if you can't have kids? What happens when your spouse dies? Do you cease to be feminine? So there's something that transcends. So it's, it's beyond just being a good dad or being whatever. It's, it's rejecting passivity, being part of the image of God and masculine. That's one of the things. And, and again, it's for dads. But for teenagers, a teenage boy needs to be able to learn not to sulk when he gets grounded, he needs to learn to take ownership of his chores and not have to have mom nagging him to do his homework. He needs to learn that. So he needs to reject passivity, this cavalier attitude we see in our culture where we just sit back and let the world come to us. No, no, we need to get through that. We need to lead them through that. Rejecting passivity, that's just one small little application. Second thing is this, we need to accept responsibility. Again, what Adam did not do. He had a great opportunity. As soon as he eats that apple and they feel naked, he had a great response. He could have said, let's stop. We just, we just boloed something big. God, we, we need you right now. We need you to do something. Even when God, he, he was walking through the, the cool of the day and they're hiding, he, it's, when he hears God's voice, he should have been like, God, we, whoa, we did something bad. I need your help right here, right now, please. Right, but what does he do? He shifts the blame. And we need to accept responsibility, the responsibility of God, the responsibility to work. Single guys, this looks like for you being responsible with the girls you date. Right, that you will pursue and protect and guard her heart, that you will guard your heart. It's part of responsibility that is yours. Her purity is your responsibility. Right, those are just little aspects. It hits all ages. We're going to thirdly lead courageously. What does it look like to lead? And and we use the word courageously because you know what? Leading sometimes takes courage because when you lead sometimes, you will be isolated. You will be alone. You will have to stand alone. There are times 
when the worst thing that you can do is to do what your wife wants, right? Not because she's bad or because she doesn't know what she's talking about, because it's just, it's just a bad decision, right? And you can, you know, whatever that is, honey, I don't know what, what you're thinking. I don't know if this is emotion or not, but I don't, I don't think so. Adam was disciplined. Why? He says, you've listened to your wife. She led you astray. Now, who is my greatest asset in my life and counselor? It's my wife, by far. But that doesn't mean she's always right. Just like I'm not always right. And there is moments when you may not agree. And let me tell you, in that moment, you are alone. Alone. It is a cold, yeah, that's right, it is a cold place to be. Right? And it's easy to what? It's easy to be passive in that moment. I'll find whatever you want, honey. And that's what we do. We need to lead courageously, not domineering, right? But so we're going to talk about that. And then we're going to expect God's reward. See, we're not, we're not living for a reward here, ultimately. Our reward is, is there. And, and everything we do in, in Christianity, most of the things we, Jesus taught us was, is really counterintuitive. It's like you, you want to lead, you, you got to serve, you want to be the greatest, you need to be the least. You, you want to get, you, you, then you give. And so we're not going to live for today. We're going to live for there. We're going to give our life away. And in doing so, we're going to find it. Right? And so the single guy is going to, he's going to forgo opportunities to do this so that he can serve. And he's going to forgo the opportunities to go sin like Moses who, who rejected the world. Right? And, and he chose what's right and, he, and he's going to deny himself so that he can find true life. And so that, that's just what we're going to talk about because our reward is ultimately there. So we're going to expect God's reward. Right, so that's kind of the definition and working. We're going to come back through and we're going to give some specifics and other things after we get through studying the past. But that's where we're going. All right. And look, I've been studying this for a couple months now. I started doing this back in July and working through this material. And I'll tell you, there is a what it was revealed to me was there are a lot of places in my life that I am passive. And I know it's easy to say, oh, you guys are doing four services, and now you got the men's thing, and you guys are busy, and you got to build a building, and, and all this activity. The activity does not mean that we're leading courageously, right? So what we want to do is we just want to, as men, we want to own the fact that there's often places where we should have been moving and we have not been. And and don't go home and scare your wife and be like, honey, I'm ready to lead. <laughs> All right, okay, that's not what we're talking about. But you do want to start having those conversations. You know what? I've been back here for a while, and I don't want to be back here anymore. And I don't know what that looks like. And she, after she gets that kind of scared look off her face, you can say, you know what? I, I just I want to start moving so that me... Not being involved anymore is not an option. At home, in the church, at work. Okay, I, I'm done sitting on the sidelines. Look, and, and you are going to fail, and you are going to fall. I promise you, I have failed so many times, and I still will. But we, we fail, but that we still move forward. We, we're going to be part of what God is doing. And the benefits will outweigh the mistakes because of grace. And that's really the last part where we're going. We're going to redeem. We're going to envision a redeemed life for the future. We're going to redeem this thing for the future. We need to have a vision of what 
a concept of, of a, a masculinity, a, a redeemed masculinity looks like for us. And for some of us, that means we're going to have to stop hiding and come out and kind of deal with some of these things. And that takes great humility. I get that. But that's, that's, how, that's how this deal is going to begin. He said, there's a humility. Okay, I'm listening. I've messed up here. And then there's a determination to change. Right? I am going to be a blessing to others. I am going to move forward. And see, that's what the gospel does. It redeems this deal. That's the Genesis 3.15. That the serpent's head will be crushed. The promise right there in the middle of the curse. And this is the, this is the reality that takes Peter, who we talked about the last couple of weeks, who is cowering at the fact that he even knows Jesus to a little girl. And a, and a couple of weeks later, he's preaching to the masses and saying, you'd kill the Messiah. What's the difference? Ultimately, the Spirit of God, the gospel, is, is come into his life, and he has been redeemed, and he is a new person. And, and it's the Spirit of Christ which enables this. And that's, that's where we're going, and that's what we're talking about, right? Um, and so this is the opportunity. It's, it's a challenge, and some of us it's going to be more challenging. Some of you are doing a great job. It doesn't mean you're there, but you've done a great job. Some of you are not doing a great job. That's okay. This is a journey. This is an adventure we're just all going on together. And men love challenges. Men love adventures. And so I'm inviting you guys with me the next eight weeks to be on this adventure, right? We was watching, I got, the other night my wife was like, let's watch a movie. And so it was either Sabrina or The Untouchables, and The Untouchables won, which was awesome, okay? And so, and Sarah had never seen it, so we're watching it, and there's this great scene when Elliot Ness, Kevin Costner, goes to this uh, old Irish cop, Sean Connery, and he's like, I want you to help me take Capone down. I want you to go with me. I want you to be on my team. We're gonna take, we're gonna take Capone down. Sean Connery's like, oh, man, I wish you would have been here 10 years ago, right? And he says, no. But then he comes back the next day, and he's like, let's go. Takes him off to the church, tells him, you want to get Capone? I'll tell you how to get Capone. He brings a knife, you pull a gun. Puts one in your hospital, you put one in his in the morgue. That's such Chicago. But he's this great scene. But the idea is he can't stay away from the adventure. There's something in man that wants the challenge. doesn't matter if he's the old Irish cop, he's about to retire. He just sees that adventure ahead of him, and he wants to go. And that's what we're called to. Hey, it's challenging? Yes. We're going to go get Capone. We're going to put him away. And so that's what we're calling our men to. And look, I think, I'm not going to tell the ladies this, this is the most important thing we, we, we're going to be doing as a church. Because if our men are leading and loving well, the ladies are going to follow that. Because that's what they want. I mean, we got, I don't even know how many, 50, 60 guys here representing... 150 people in our church, more with kids, maybe 200 fa- people of our church. It's a quarter of our church represented with the men here. It's pretty significant. If you talk about all, I mean, some of you got like 10 kids, some of you got two kids. Man, that's a lot of impact for the future, right? There's a lot that can be done in this room over seven weeks. And good, we, have, we got time. Here's what I want you to do. And we're gonna try to do this every week because I don't wanna just be a talking head. I want you to get with some men. All right, and again, after these eight weeks are done, there's gonna be a men's group that meets Friday mornings at the same time over in the, in the coffee area, and you guys can continue this until the, the next semester. But here's, here's three questions I want you to ask, and you just get in groups of, you know, small enough that you can talk. First thing I want you to do is just kind of meet everybody. I mean, a lot of you don't know who anybody is, and that's great. 
Um, and so share with the group a little bit who you are, uh, what you're hoping to learn, if, if anything, from this session, from these sessions. Sec- second question, talk about how you would describe the state of American masculinity. How, how, is, how is American masculinity doing? And third, have you seen male passivity in your heart, in your life? Where have you seen it the most? This is where we're going to start opening up a little bit, but this is where there's going to be the, the wounds exposed a little bit, and this is where we're going to see the healing, all right? So meet each other, first idea. Second one, how do you describe the state of American masculinity? And third, okay, where, where are you being passive? Where do you want to be challenged? Where do you think that you need a little bit of growth, okay? So you guys can move chairs, do whatever, go to sections. You can go to the balcony, whatever, and obviously some of you got to go to work, and that's great. Others of you are welcome to stay as long as you want, um, so um, glad you guys have come. Let me pray for our time as our breakout groups. And next week we might, I might assign some leaders and split us up. We'll see how that works. But again, thank you guys for coming this morning. And we'll start next week with uh, the first wound and talking through that. Let me pray. Father, as men, um, I pray for us to start thinking about rejecting that passivity and, and leading courageously. Uh, those two just foundational things that we would reject this core sin that some of us just struggle with a lot, more, some more than others, but that's there in our spiritual DNA. Um, I pray for your spirit to lead us so that we will courageously lead. Father, move in our church. We want to see just men being like Christ, giving their lives away. That's, that's what we want to see. So I pray this would be a fruitful time these next couple weeks as we work through these things and just bring about healing and, and growth, Lord, for your namesake, I pray. Amen.